And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst. We're a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture, including film, TV and music, as well as dissecting some very special topics of our choosing. You can find us online. We're Twitter at The Thirst, Facebook.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. We're on Instagram at The Thirst Pod too. We're on Podbean now, which is thethirst.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts by searching for The Thirst and on Spotify and a lot of other podcast based platforms. If you want to email us too, you can do so. It's thethirstpod at gmail.com. I think I'm going to start taking that out no one emails us no one ever emails us maybe send us an email no one will but perhaps tiny violin (laughs) tiny violin send us an email um if you want to leave us some reviews on apple Podcasts, that's always very nice too um and you can also check out our blog which i definitely haven't updated i'm really sorry um it's the thirstpod.wordpress.com some homework for you (sighs) always every time it's the one thing i'm so sorry so this is a very special episode is it 44.5 i suppose yeah i reckon it is a half even though it's a full length half it's a full full length length. yeah it's like a full length subway uh, but somewhere. I don't know. But maybe just like cheese flavour or something. Oh no, the other way around. A really fancy one that's only half. Like a meatball sub? Yeah, meatball, a, a six inch meatball sub is the name of the game with this episode. Sure. The only sad thing is that it doesn't have a red carpet this year. Oh no, it's true. So this is our um, London Film Festival coverage episode. Ordinarily, we would have taken ourselves down to London, gone to some screenings. Perhaps walked a red carpet or two, but I'm not sure if you noticed, but there's a pandemic on at the moment. Yeah, Um, our plans got scuppered a bit, really, didn't they? Yeah, so our ordinary way of doing London Film Festival was slightly thrown out of the window for good reasons, i.e. social distancing, safety, etc, etc. But one exciting thing is that this year is the first year that we had press accreditation, which is very nice. That was very useful, wasn't it? It was indeed. So because the festival this year was happening virtually, it was happening remotely via an online platform so people could watch everything online. There were some in-person screenings at locations around the UK, so not just in London, but most of it was happening virtually and it meant that actually for us it worked to our advantage because we could watch considerably more in the two-week period than we probably ever would have done if we'd been going to London. Yeah, I mean, the pr- the thing with press accreditation in normal life is that we don't live in London so we would only be able to go and see a limited number of films anyway unless we want to either spend a hideous amount of money staying in London or kill ourselves driving back and forth all the time so I feel like even if we had press the number of films you would have seen would be like on one hand. Definitely, like very small. And they also, as well, the press screenings usually happen very early in the day and involves a lot of queuing, just not not really feasible for us no. being where we live, etc. So yeah, it was good this year, really, that it, we were given the opportunity to do it. Um, obviously, the circumstances are less than ideal. It's a bit sad, but um, okay, it was a win for us. So this year was the 64th London Film Festival and it ran from the 7th to the 18th of October. Um, For us doing press stuff, there were a few days beforehand at the start where we watched a few things and I'm pretty sure that we did, for us at least, there was, we were always maybe watching something every day. I think there was only a few days actually where I didn't watch anything. Yeah, I think, I mean, you definitely managed to catch more than I did. I managed to time all of this at the same time as... 
buying a house and having some time away from work so it was all a bit <laughs> it was all a bit mad but um I'm kind of pleased with the number of films I did get through in the end but it I think you you really maximized the time I was very impressed yeah I think I mean one thing I will say actually and it's it seems really stupid to like be complaining about this but I was just amazed by the end of it like I had full brain pain of having like watched two or three things every day and it gave me a real insight into what it must be like for anyone that does it full time so you know a lot of uh, journalists or people in press whether that's tv radio etc etc to have the ability to watch multiple things in a day and think coherently about them is a real art oh yeah props to those people I mean hats off to you guys having the stamina to watch those and then immediately write them up afterwards or talk about them is just I mean I was knackered just sitting on my sofa watching shit so and it was also um some of the days where you would watch particular things back to back there were a couple of days for me especially where I watched like random pairings of things Mm. that just ended up being like really emotionally intense that I just wouldn't want to relive again so I definitely horror films at 11 o'clock in the morning oh my god yeah I definitely packed in quite a lot um but it was really good and I'm really glad that we were able to do it and so rather than talking about literally everything everything that we saw (laughs) yes we're going to review all 8,000 films that are at the festival this year I worked out that I watched 21 films well that's pretty good 15 days which is all right I think but the ones we're going to sort of talk about at length are what we are considering the big hitters they're the ones that when the schedule announcement came out the ones that we were immediately looking forward to the ones that have been written and discussed quite a lot about anyway at the moment because they've shown at other festivals or they're just generally from directors and creators and actors who you know we really like and a lot of people like so they're being well discussed so we're going to start there and then there are a few other things that we thought we'd draw attention to as well we're also just really cognizant of the fact that it's hard at the moment without normal release schedules where we don't know when things are going to be released or if things are being released who'll have access to them so while we will be discussing some plot stuff and obviously our thoughts and feelings about things we probably won't go into as much heavy analysis as we would do usually just because we don't know when anyone's going to see these who knows if anyone will see these uh yeah we're avoiding we're avoiding heavy spoilers this time which makes a change for us to be honest yes ruining everything so we start with our heavy hitters. The first thing that we'll talk about is Cajillionaire, which is directed by Miranda July. I was really looking forward to this one. Um, it stars Evan Rachel Wood, Richard Jenkins, Gina Rodriguez and Deborah Winger. It's uh, Miranda July's first film in nine years. Ironically, I'd actually bought a ticket for this for the evening screening because I was so desperate to see it. <laughs> um, so Cajillionaire, what did you think about it? What Had you got any kind of preconceived notions going into it um what were your main takeaways just because it was one of the first big ones that we'd watched over the two weeks wasn't it, it was very early and i think it was on the wednesday so it was yeah right at the start. yeah i think i'd that was my first big watch after having been away for a few days came home and watched it so i i was looking forward to seeing this um i haven't seen a lot of miranda july's work um but i do know enough about her background um in film to to sort of recognise even from the synopsis and the image that she has a very particular aesthetic and feeling to her films, that kind of odd sentimentality, I guess. Um, And I knew that it was about a family of con artists 
and the idea of this outsider played by Gina Rodriguez coming in um, and entering their lives and kind of turning it upside down. And that's pretty much all I knew. I don't think I'd even seen the trailer for this before going into it. Um, so in terms of tone and pretty much everything, I had no clue, really. Off the bat, I think it looks great. It's very hot, very sparse. Again, a very sort of seems like quite a particular Miranda July aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I really enjoyed it. It's a very surreal and quirky, but also quite bleak and quite sweet and quite sad and quite funny and sentimental, all mixed into one. You've got quite a tiny cast and a small setting but the performances are really really strong Evan Rachel Wood in particular who I know we both discussed afterwards as old Dolio which I keep on thinking as Dolmio as in the pasta sauce so that's all I thought about the entire time um, it reminds me, this is completely off topic, but it reminds me how for a very long time, I can't believe I'm publicly airing this as well, <laughs> for, for a really long time, you know old El Paso? Yes. The, the food, yes. I thought it was um, O Del Paso. It's like, oh, Del Paso. Oh, Del Paso. Yeah, so there we go. The entire time I was just thinking like, oh, it's how like I think that it's old Del Paso. Oh, Del Paso. Um, that's what I kept saying in my head. So. Oh, Dolio. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh Dolio. Dolio. Great name. Truly a name that we will never come across again. <laughs> I mean, and I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen Evan Rachel Wood really act in much Outside of Westworld, I watched the first season of Westworld and obviously 13, which we've discussed on this podcast before. So I haven't Mm -hmm. seen her outside of her acting in Westworld really or seen her do much for a while. Um, But I thought her performance was fantastic. She's this very strange, emotionally stunted young woman with like a really bizarre deadpan voice and expression it's her voice and the physicality of it like she's so like she contorts her body she hides behind that hair Mm. that voice is just so like she is just i don't know when i'm like you can't see this obviously because we're recording this remotely but like i'm just tensing because that's what she's like yeah she's very she does hold herself in a very tense way doesn't she she looks like she should be a member of the manson family but she (laughs) looks like a cult member as well it's a really she's a very strange person and it's i think from the outset it's it does seem like a bizarre and funny film and you really start getting into the bleakness of this film when you realize the harrowing extent of the sort of neglect that Aldolio has felt with yeah. in her family yeah. and Deborah Winger and Richard Jenkins are fantastic as well playing Robert and Teresa they're absolutely toe curling and kind of I don't know I mean their whole lives are built on tricking others aren't they so they kind of yeah. seem I, cu- I couldn't work out whether they were callous and sort of emotionally neglectful or whether they were kind of loving but very misguided you kind of you know you you move between these two states I think well there's that whole thing where they old Dolio at one point she talks about how they've always split everything equally so like it's as though she's been treated as like an, an immediate adult and equal right off the bat and that's fine but then also that that's obviously been extremely damaging because it's just created this kind of chasm this distance this presumption that like she's an adult she can just go on with it whereas actually the evidence obviously suggests that she really 
could have probably done from like a much more nurturing relationship. Mm, absolutely. She's been, yeah, she just hasn't had that childhood and hasn't had that family, has she? And no. you don't really recognise the full extent of that until um, Gina Rodriguez's character, who's sort of the normal, I guess almost like the bystander is in, she is the recognisable person for the audience. Like, oh, finally, a normal person has entered this scene. Yeah. Um, she comes in and, you know, she's watching in dis- disbelief alongside you, watching this family and just realising how dysfunctional this is. Um, and there's some really, there's a couple of really sharp, painful moments, one in particular that I won't spoil, that really got me. And yeah, I just thought it was it was really fun, very heartfelt. I don't know whether I was completely, when I say completely sold, I don't know. I wasn't, almost wasn't sure about the trajectory of some of the relationships in it, but I don't know. I did, I did really enjoy it at the same time. I also, it wouldn't surprise me if some people didn't take to the film. Well, the thing that I was going to say is that I was really looking forward to this. I really like Miranda July's mm. work. It's like I said, it's her first film in nine years. Previous to that, she did directed and starred in Me and You and Everyone We Know, which is in 2005, and then The Future in 2011. I also really like her writing. So mm. she's got two books of short stories, No One Belongs Here More Than You, and then It Chooses You. And then she's also got a book called The First Bad Man. Mm-hmm. So I, I really enjoy her writing, actually. It's definitely an acquired taste, and I think that that's very similar about her work in film as well, as that she, like you say, Absolutely. she's got a very clear aesthetic. Like, it's very particularly, like, her vision as an artist, mm-hmm. as a creator, and... I absolutely love it. I really enjoy engaging with it, but it is also something that I can completely understand why someone would find it a bit twee or a bit too quirky or a mm-hmm. bit too weird or like just not completely unnegotiable for them. Yeah, and I I feel like I can kind of take or leave that kind of... I hate using the word quirky, but... So do I, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I can kind of take or leave it sometimes, but I felt like this film was very heartfelt and was pretty tightly put together and the performances were great and the whole arc of the story really worked so I yeah I really enjoyed it there's a lot of tenderness in it I think that's a very good word yeah there's this idea of like the way that you as a as a child you I guess you inherit the beliefs of your parents Mm -hmm. just from being around them but then you also perhaps inherit all of their baggage there's like this kind of ongoing thing throughout the entire film about kind of this fear and distrust of the outside world that Aldolio's obviously picked up from her parents Mm -hmm. and how that's kind of stopped real human connections oh yeah absolutely and there's just one point in it right at the beginning where they get a voucher that's a massage voucher they take some gosh yeah and old olio goes to this massage parlor and sort of tries to maybe just get the money instead so it's like Mm. oh can i give you this and she ends up having this massage and it's just this very like visceral thing where you just see that she physically cannot cope with human touch she's so starved of like love and affection she's just having this very like bodily visceral reaction to it and i think that in like a two or three minute shot just really typifies the kind of the film as a whole i think it's just about this how you know when you are starved of something for so long it's like actually getting your head around how you are entitled to it Mm -hmm. and and coming to realize that and i just i think it handles that those themes in like a really interesting and quite a tender way and it's not like particularly heavy-handed with it no definitely not like i really enjoyed it i mean I, i was like i said i was really looking forward to it and i wasn't let down at all so i guess if you have the opportunity 
opportunity to go and see it. Um, I think it is out now, actually, isn't it, in the UK? So it, it came out in September in the US. It's out in the UK now at select cinemas. And I think it's coming on to video on demand already in the US, might be soon in the UK as well. Uh, yes. So if you have the chance to see it, I definitely, we would definitely both recommend it. So that was one of the first things that we watched. Yeah. And then over that weekend, I think we both uh, tuned in on Saturday morning to watch One Night in Miami, which is the directorial debut of Regina King from a screenplay by Kemp Powers, which is based on his stage play of the same name. Um, It had its world premiere at Venice in September, and it was the first film directed by an African-American woman to be selected in the festival's history. It's scheduled for limited release on Christmas Day, of all days, and will be on Amazon Prime for the 15th of January, so put that in your diaries. A brief synopsis if you haven't heard of the play before. So the film takes place on the night of February 25th, 1964. Cassius Clay, a.k.a. Muhammad Ali, joins Jim Brown, Sam Cooke and Malcolm X in a Miami hotel room to celebrate Ali's surprise title over Sonny Liston. Throughout the evening, they discuss the the responsibility of being a successful black man during the civil rights movement and they boldly challenge each other to be the best versions of themselves. The film stars Kingsley Ben-Adir as Malcolm X, Eli Gore as Cassius Clay, Aldous Hodge as the sports star and actor Jim Brown and Leslie Odom Jr. as soul musician Sam Cooke. It also stars Lance Reddick, Nicolette Robinson, Michael Imperioli and Bo Bridges among others. So what do you want to give your impressions of this film, which I know a lot of people are talking about? Yeah, so it was something like I said with Kajilina, this was definitely one of the ones that when the schedule was announced, we saw it in there and we were both sort of really looking forward to. Um, Regina King is someone who we've discussed on the podcast previously because obviously she had a starring role in Watchmen last year, which was a series that we talked about at length because we very, very much enjoyed. Um, And she's someone that always have like a real fondness in watching on screen she's just brilliant isn't she she really is and I was really intrigued to sort of see actually like kind of what this project would be because she strikes me as someone that chooses her work very carefully and wants to create something very meaningful so came to it with kind of like high expectations I didn't know the play and it's interesting that it is based on a play because one of the sort of things I did see discussed in the immediate aftermath of the film's released was how stagey it was at times mm, I would say I mean absolutely Absolutely. You can kind of tell it's based on a stage play, really. It's mostly taking place within one hotel room and it's very, it's not a film of action. It's a film of words. No, completely. And it's very contained in that sense. And I often find it very interesting when plays especially plays that are focused on sort of one or two players mm-hmm. are adapted for screen. It reminds me of the Denzel Washington and Viola Davis film Fences, oh, Fences that came, yeah, out, yeah. came out a few years ago, which was very similar in that it's obviously set a, Fences was set around a, a house, a family within a house, and it stuck to that kind of location. And sometimes that type of scenario can just feel a bit, it doesn't necessarily transfer well on screen. But this actually, I thought they did a really good job at it, especially because the first sort of, I don't know, 20 minutes to 40 minutes are just sort of the setup of how mm-hmm. these four people came to be in this room. So you sort of see them each coming from a different location, just to give you that context. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I thought that was really sensible because then initially, obviously, 
because of who these people are, you are going to have some awareness of it, of who they are, of mm. what their backgrounds are. You know, most people know who Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali is. Most people who know who Malcolm X is. But mm. actually, if you don't necessarily know who Jim Brown is, if you're not necessarily familiar with Sam Cooke, it's probably like quite useful. And I did think it was very interesting, actually, because, you know, sometimes the idea of just sitting and starting a film immediately in a room and then having to do all the exposition of explaining mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. these people came to be in this location. But I thought the setup there was just really, really well done, actually. And I also think that it then means that you've got this context... And once they're in the room, it just gives the actors the time to shine because mm-hmm. they become the focal point. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing all of the work, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just thought it was really, really good. It was just really enjoyable to watch. The, the four of them are so charismatic and they're all doing such different things as they try and inhibit these quite heavy characters, you know? Like, I think one of the things that I said to you as we were watching it is we were talking about the Will Smith Muhammad Ali mm-hmm, film, for mm-hmm. example. Because obviously immediately when you have got figures from history in particular, especially sort of quite prominent figures, your immediate reference point is probably going to be some is, is going to be them as an individual, but yeah. it might also be another representative of them on television and film mm-hmm. so to be an actor who's going to be playing Cassius Clay at this pretty integral time in his career mm-hmm, as well mm-hmm. that's a lot of baggage and similarly for Kingsley Benadir who's obviously playing Malcolm X quite iconically Denzel Washington has played Malcolm X mm-hmm. in a Spike Lee film before so that's quite a lot of preconceived baggage for someone to kind of be negotiating but I just felt that all of them did it so well and I just really enjoyed it you know like it is I think it's just over two hours or just mm-hmm, under mm-hmm. two hours and for a film like this to be that long when it is essentially four men in a room talking about civil rights talking about this turning point in american history it could feel slow but actually i was Mm -hmm. really impressed with the pacing of it personally yeah i mean it's as you say the whole thing is quite a big undertaking as regina king's first film you've got four heavyweight historical figures some of the greatest black men in their field on screen at one time any one of them really can hold a whole film alone and as you say it's all set in one pretty much one place one room and it's very script heavy it's not a film of action and it's a really pivotal moment as you say in history for each of those men personally as well yeah and to pull all of that off and the casting is brilliant I think I really liked Eli Gore as Cassius Clay. I think he's in Riverdale and that's pretty much all I know him from, which is a very different thing. Um, I thought he was brilliant. And as you say, Kingsley Benadir as well as Malcolm X. But all of them really are, they just inhibit those roles so well. And it's it kind of centres around this win, Cassius's win, but it's also this important crossroads for him as well because he wants to join the Nation of Islam and then Jim is questioning his career choices. He wants to leave sport and become an actor. Sam's trying to kind of find value in his music and I guess is questioning his identity but as well and Malcolm wants to leave the Nation of Islam. So it's like a, a really key, large sort of key historical moment in civil rights history as well as very personal moments of change for these men. And it's just such a big undertaking and it's a really interesting glimpse behind the curtain of all of their lives in a really heart-wrenching way as well because it's all kind of fun and games and celebration but also 
they're each battling with so much and you can see the tension starting to mount between them. And you also know where it's headed for some of them because this isn't long before Malcolm and Sam's fates end quite dramatically. And I don't know, I just, there's so much room there for it to not work. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is that you are essentially like... If you were going to be tackling one of those stories, you're potentially setting yourself up to fail because they're all quite weighty. But actually to try and do all four of them at once at this particular time is is a mammoth undertaking. You know, I was just really impressed, especially for a directorial debut. It's just a huge task. And I think that she did a really, really good job and like full credit to the actors as well, because, you know, like... They're perfectly suited. I did think they were really, really well cast. They're really good. And like I said, like I I had my scepticism just because I think especially when you have got characters like Malcolm X for example you know the Denzel Washington performance is so iconic Mm, mm. but for actually for Kingsley Ben-Adir to kind of come in and do this performance and you do see like kind of the how he does inhibit that particular period of time in Malcolm's life when he's feeling you know scared and apprehensive about how he wants to be leaving the nation of Islam and how he's quite fearful and he's sort of paranoid and everything and I just you know like Kingsley Ben-Adir I think I've only seen him in one other thing and that was High Fidelity, High Fidelity yeah. which we watched recently and I was just really really impressed. I guess they're all kind of emerging talents themselves aren't yes. they? It's like they're you know at I say at the start of their careers maybe not at the start of their careers but they're becoming better known and these are some of their you know the bigger roles that they've taken on so far so it kind of yeah mirrors that quite well with the characters but I was just transfixed for the entire film for something that runs that for almost two hours or two hours as you said I just thought it was spellbinding really it was really really good I loved it it's something I would really really like to watch again actually I think because Mm. I think there's so much going on with all of those performances as well just because there's four of them at once I think there's so much that you could unpick there and like a lot more to pay attention to so I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to go back and actually kind of sit with it again so something else that we watched, uh, I think it was in the beginning of the second week, was Another Round, which is directed by Thomas Vinterberg and stars Mads Mikkelsen, Thomas Bo Larsen, Magnus Milleg and Lars Lantha. I think we were both looking forward to this, full disclosure, because of Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that we were entirely drawn to this film based on his casting. Yeah, 100%. So if you are unfamiliar with Thomas Vinterberg, uh, he's a Danish film director who, along with Lars von Trier, co-founded the Dogma 95 movement in filmmaking, which established the rules for simplifying movie production. I'm sure you're really familiar with Dogma 95. Ah, yes. He's quite an integral, important Danish film director. Um, And the film itself was set to have its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival prior to its cancellation amidst Rona. After that, though, it had its world premiere at TIFF, uh, which did go ahead this year, albeit virtually. And then it also screened at the San Sebastian International Film Festival, where it competed for the Golden Shell. Um, it's also worth mentioning at this stage as well that this won the overall best film at London mm. Film Festival this year, which is very, very interesting. So the film's premise is that Mads Mikkelsen plays one of four teachers at a Danish, I think it's a high school, mm-hmm. like secondary school, who decide to play around with the idea of drinking 
every day to maintain a minimum blood alcohol level it's a kind of experiment that they decide to do because one of them posits it as this sort of physiological psychological experiment that they should try doing and the film essentially maps what happens when the four of them embark upon all of this the ways that it changes their day-to-day life how it changes their attitude to work their relationships their families so essentially on paper it is just about two hours of these people just getting drunk And I don't drink. I'm not a drinker. (laughs) That's so so true. That's a really important point, actually. This is a really important plot point is that like I just don't drink. So for me to be like, yeah, sold. Mads Mikkelsen getting drunk for two hours. Sign me up was a kind of a big ask, really. We did have a lot of conversations whilst watching this film about hangovers in particular. Yeah, Just informing you about like the feeling of being extremely hungover and how it's just not ever worth the effort. Yeah, so the, so the idea in, in the film is that it revolves around this Norwegian psychiatrist and professor called Finns... I'm going to pronounce this horribly, Go so on. sorry for all our big Norwegian <laughs> listeners. So it's Finn Skaradudz. Skaradudz? Yeah, that's anyway, great. Anyway, he, he had a theory that man is born with half a uh, mil too little of alcohol in the blood. So his... He would say that. His solution to this was to just drink more to up the blood alcohol level. So, I mean, I didn't even know that one has a blood alcohol level constantly. No, neither did I. But, you know, all the gra- all the greats work by this theory, April, like Winston right? Churchill, all the greats. Yeah, so this is a pl- thing as well. They, const- they talk about how, you know, like Hemingway's approach was to drink throughout the day, but stop in the evening and not drink at weekends. I hear that worked out really well for Ernest None Hemingway. of these people are people that you want to follow. No. Let's just all be like Hemingway and Winston Churchill. So this is the thing, right? Is that actually as a premise, it's just like completely unappealing to me. But <laughs> listeners, I loved this. It was truly a joy, wasn't it? I had such a nice time watching this. I just felt like it was such an interesting look at the idea of like finding an enjoyment of life again albeit at what cost you know like the impact of all of it but it's like these four men and also as well bearing in mind it does focus on like four men in their 40s yeah you know not necessarily like the biggest area of interest but like they all need a kickstart in life they're bored they're in a rut they just need a push they're pretty average apart from Mads Mikkelsen who like how annoyed would you be to be like regular high school bloke with your regular friends plus Mads Mikkelsen. It's so funny because that was one of my like my favourite things that you said in response while you were watching this was just like, imagine you're one of these four blokes who isn't Mads Mikkelsen. And like, no offence to any of these other men, but like Mads Mikkelsen is like Danish god. He's, I mean, he's vastly superior to most humans. So like, imagine going to Pizza Express with your mates and Mads is there and it's just, <laughs> everyone's just falling over their chairs looking at him. Imagine Mads being your teacher. What on earth no work would get done nothing would be accomplished that or i'd be a wonderful student you'd be really good at history yeah so it it starts as an experiment they become more dependent on it is it the alcohol that's opening them up is it this idea of perceived freedom this belief that they suddenly have that they're feeling better because of the alcohol is it the cause is it the excuse it's really darkly funny you know like it is very similar to sort of some other of thomas vinterberg's films which have this like they're extremely bleak but they're also like quite funny as well it's so funny the bit where they go to the shop whilst this isn't a spoiler it's fine 
they go to the shop when they're really pissed to try and get fresh fish and they can't get any fresh fish so they have to go it's so funny but also extremely tragic obviously yeah the thing is this is such a good film and yet i would say that there's nothing about the trajectory of this film that will be a surprise to anyone no what happens if you continue day drinking while working in a school or while your partner is caring for a newborn baby spoiler it doesn't end like doesn't take you down a good path no so i don't think there's anything necessarily like shocking about this story like i think you know how it's going to work out in the end but as you say it's just a lot of fun and i'm not entirely sure whether it is trying to say something about drinking culture you know is excess bad is it good i'm not really sure if it matters whether it is trying to say anything in particular. I think that's what I was thinking about actually as well is because it is Danish, it's set in Copenhagen Mm -hmm. as far as I'm aware and I couldn't work out if it was just kind of like a commentary on like drinking culture Mm -hmm. as a whole and it's interesting to sort of look at it from the perspective of being an English person the English are known for their excessive drinking massive pissheads massive pissheads and I don't drink so it's also quite hard to sort of like think about my attitudes towards drinking culture and my experiences of it and blah blah Mm. blah. so I don't know if it's really trying to say anything because I think that like I think the Danish have a very similar approach to it and another thing that I didn't mention to you at the time but I did find quite funny the entire time is Mads Mikkelsen did those Carlsberg adverts oh my god I forgot about the Carlsberg adverts and like all I could think about at one point when they're in that bar is just his Carlsberg adverts I forgot we used to get that advert all the time like during the trailers at the cinema <laughs> yeah Mads Mikkelsen loves a drink doesn't he he does doesn't he and this is the reason it's such an enjoyable watch actually because like he is so phenomenal in this role and he's just a pleasure to watch he's such a pleasure especially like the final kind of closing scene it ends on such an amazing high this film i feel like you have to see it even just to see the ending because it's, it's such so worth i was it. such a high watching that end just a delight so if you have the opportunity to see this and also if you're not necessarily the someone that maybe engages with like films that aren't in the english language or you're not familiar with thomas winterberg's work i think this is a really nice place to start actually because it's sort of like really positions Mads Mikkelsen in that kind of starring role and he's sort of like a good entry point I think he does completely underpin this entire film as well like I don't 100%. it just absolutely wouldn't work without him but I mean I'm, I'm here for that 100% definitely definitely worth your time if only for the extreme Mads thirsting drunken Mads on to my most eagerly awaited film of yes. the festival which is really not going to be a surprise to anyone. I was really, really hoping that this film would be announced because we kind of discussed it before. Uh, and it was just one of the films that I really wanted to see this year. And that was Possessor, which is a science fiction horror film written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. It stars Andrea Riseborough, Christopher Abbott, Rossif Sutherland, Tuppence Middleton, which is Tuppence. honestly the most middle class name I've ever heard. Sean Bean, your boy Sean, and Jennifer Jason Lee. The film follows an agent who works for a secretive organisation that uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, ultimately driving them to commit assassinations for high paying clients. So the film had its world premiere at Sundance in back in January, which was honestly feels like years ago. Um, It's now out in the US and Canada and it's scheduled to be released in the UK on the 27th of November. 
Brandon Cronenberg is, of course, the son of David Cronenberg. Uh, his first feature film was Antiviral, which was back in 2012. So this is his follow-up. As I said, I wanted to see this film for so long. I remember seeing the poster when it came out, that horrible, screaming, masked face, the, the really vivid yellow. And we both, I think we both still need to see Antiviral, don't we? I can't believe we've not seen Antiviral, bearing in mind what it's about and who it's in it. Right? I don't know why I haven't. It doesn't quite make sense, but I'm I'm dying to see it now, actually. And I wish I had seen it before so that I could kind of make a comparison. But what were your feelings towards this film? Because, yeah, it feels like peak McKenna, but... I mean, were you looking forward to it as well? Yeah, like so unbearably so, which is quite funny actually because like my interest in like horror is so tiny in comparison to yours. And it's also really only something that has continued to grow over the last few years. Mm -hmm. I think since we've been friends, it's definitely sort of increased my influence. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's not even that. It's just that like, I think previously I'd not necessarily been someone that really liked engaging with Mm -hmm. horror films. I used to just find them quite hard to watch. Whereas now I'm just a hundred percent in on anything. Like I think I've lost the ability to kind of just be like overly scared by stuff, which I mean, that's an entire other episode on its own. So I was really, (laughs) I was really looking forward to this mostly because I, I really like Christopher Abbott. Mm. Big Christopher Abbott fan. For those who endured girls like us, um, he played Charlie. Yeah, lovely Charlie. Lovely Charlie from Girls. And I also, we were talking about this actually after we saw Possessor. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a really big David Cronenberg fan. I saw a lot of Cronenberg films at like a really integral, like filmic time for me. Mm-hmm. So he's someone whose work I really, really enjoy. So it's sort of like a natural evolution for me that like I would sort of be kind of intrigued to see what his son's doing Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the things that I think that Brandon Cronenberg is probably continually going to fall victim to Mm -hmm. over the course of his career is that comparison Mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily see that as a negative thing because one of the things I found most interesting about Possessor is how he kind of takes those things that like his dad is quite integral for having started mm. like the cultural wave of and he just really builds it out like mm-hmm. he's obviously taking that legacy and kind of running with it in like new interesting more modern directions oh yeah absolutely because one of the things with possessor is obviously that it's this idea of like someone inhabiting another person's body Mm -hmm. so david cronenberg's obviously like very well known for body horror so it's really interesting to sort of consider this as like this new era of it considering what our concerns are now this kind of fear of technology this reliance on technology it just feels very contemporary mm-hmm. in that sense. I just, I was really looking forward to it and I really enjoyed it. And it's just so trippy. It's so weird. It's so grisly. I think that my worry going into it had been that we'd gotten ourselves like too hyped mm-hmm. because we had been looking forward this to it. This happens a lot, yeah. Yeah, 100%. There have been things that, especially since in the last six months especially that we've been like yeah it's gonna be amazing gonna be amazing gonna be amazing and you're like oh actually it's not that great and I think this is one of the films that over the last two weeks I just really wish that we'd had the opportunity to see in a cinema because oh I would have loved to have seen this in the cinema so many of the visuals are like so overwhelming so like aggressively bombarding in such a purposeful way that I would have loved to have been in the cinema to have just had this like wall of colour and sound Mm -hmm. thrown in my direction Mm -hmm. Especially because it does play around with like dreamscapes and this idea of reality, virtual reality, what's real, what isn't. 
there are just particular scenes in it as well which I keep coming back to that have just really played on rotation in my brain so it's almost a week since we saw it we've obviously had the opportunity to watch so many films over the last two weeks and there have been some of them that I've been like yeah I'd absolutely like to go back to you at some point in the future and there have been some that I've just been like no interest in ever mm-hmm, seeing that mm-hmm. again <laughs> but this in particular was one where as soon as it was finished I was like I just want to go back and do that again yeah. because I just want to like there's this I want to go back to and I just want to see if I was picking up on that thing and like, did that happen did I imagine that you know what was going on there mm-hmm. I wonder if I watch it a second time am I going to realize early on that like this is happening mm-hmm. and like I just found it so overwhelming, but like in a really, really good, enjoyable way. And it's mm-hmm. not that it's like an easy watch at all, because no. there were, I was like really, really reacting to it in a very intense, full on. Like I was, I yelled at one point. I was like making noise. I was gasping. I was like, holy shit. And like, that's not necessarily something that happens with like every film I, I watch. I was watching it downstairs and T was doing some studying upstairs and then they came down and they were like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. I'm just like, this film is just, just so very intense. engrossed in this. I just yeah, yeah. really engrossed in it. And um, so yeah, just had a great time as, as like incredibly fucked up as it was. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad it lived up to our own hype, really. I was so impressed by it. And as you say, it must be a lot to sort of almost feel like you're, you could be living in your father's shadow when your dad is someone like Cronenberg. But it kind of makes sense that Brandon Cronenberg would follow in the footsteps of his father in making a sci-fi horror film like, I mean, if you're learning from the master why not? It kind of reminds me in a way of Stephen King actually in the way that his sons have gone on to have writing careers and to write sort of horror novels and be very involved in the genre but they've definitely established themselves outside of their kind of father's shadow and this I think will be exactly the same as you say it's such a strong film and it does feel like it builds on what came before him with his father's films particularly in the kind of the late 70s and 80s it feels really short and sharp as well like I found the time absolutely flew I was completely engrossed and grossed out I don't think the pace lapses at all and I was thinking especially because I saw Tenet recently if Christopher Nolan made this film the characters would spend three hours explaining how they're able to implant themselves in other people's bodies you know all of that kind of exposition you know that's setting up we just don't need any of that and we don't have it you just accept it don't you you get like an idea right at the beginning there is like a there's a setup of what's happening Mm. and you, you become really apparent and you're like oh okay cool so that's what they're doing great in don't need anything else you're literally dropped right in okay this woman is an assassin she's working for so-and-so company this is the thing that she does she inhabits other people's bodies she's mimicking them she's using them to you know mask herself and to commit atrocious acts and without ever being found out fine i don't need to know you know the how I don't need to know no. that. It just it just works off the bat. Angela Riseborough is so good. Just like she's mesmerizing with her kind of bleached features. She's almost she's so good. She she almost looked like a rat, a lab rat in some ways. Yes. I think she's just very physical, very sinewy, very blonde. <laughs> she seems like a psychopath in that you can't tell whether she's always been the way that she is now 
or that if she's been slowly losing her humanity more and more because of the way that she inhabits other people's body and the way that she's been killing because she's been you know we're shown that she's grown estranged from her family but I don't know maybe she's maybe she came into this role because she is naturally quite a cold person a cold killer or maybe she's been turned into this by the job that she does as you say like absolute joy to spend time with Christopher Abbott and he's really brilliant in this especially when he is having to act as if she is inhabiting his body and it's so vivid and loud and overwhelming I mean right off the bat actually before those kind of moments happen the the visuals are just so vivid and bright and colourful and I also thought it was quite interesting to watch this the same day as Nomadland because as we'll discuss we kind of got there is a a few scenes in Nomadland which are set in like the Amazon warehouses (laughs) and then in this film you've got Colin played by Christopher Abbott going to work in these large like could be a similar large company committing sort of corporate espionage and sort of big shiny modern brutal machines that are sort of committing awful acts and spying on people I I don't know it's just a really strange link in a way it was like the other you know the crueler bloodier grislier side of things yeah it's it's right isn't it it's like this this two very interesting responses to the way that like technology and the disconnect between humans and technology has kind of permeated every aspect of our life yeah it's quite different in Nomadland but at the same time one can't exist without the other no absolutely yeah it's just a really as you said like a really interesting look at the effects of technology on humanity and identity one thing I couldn't work out is whether and I don't have an answer for this but because in the US it's been called possessor uncut but I can't I couldn't work out whether this was a cut version I don't know whether as you say this film is very it is violent and it has been it's described a lot as quite nasty which I think is true but I weirdly didn't find it gratuitous even though you know in those exact moments it is gratuitous and it is shocking but I didn't find it too much and then I wondered are other like are some US critics maybe watching a film that is different to the one I'm seeing or maybe I'm just I don't know well okay so a thing that I did ahead of this was I went on the BBFC website mm-hmm. And on the BBFC website, if you're not familiar with the BBFC, it's the the board of film classification within the UK. So you can look up films and it will tell you what the rating is and it will tell you like aspects of the film. We don't rate them R over here. No such thing. It will tell you aspects of so that you are aware of like why a film has received this particular rating. Mm -hmm. And I did this and then I noticed that when we watched it, there was a thing at the beginning that says like this film has not yet been rated and Mm -hmm. it's not on the bbfc website which means it hasn't yet been classified for release here yet Mm. so i'm wondering if we saw the uncut version okay so this might have been the uncut version yeah so i think i personally think that is the case if only because i think that like you say it's not necessarily like relentlessly ott gratuitous gore violence but the instances of it in the film are fairly intense. Yeah. There is one scene... I know exactly which one you mean. ...with some teeth that I haven't been able to get out of my head for a solid week now. Like, it's just 
replaying in my brain. Wish I'd closed my eyes about two seconds before it happened. No, and I just, I don't know if that would make it into a cut. No, that's true, actually. It couldn't possibly be a cut with that in because it is... But there's no rating for it on the BBFC website, so I don't think it's even been rated here yet. And often this is the case of when things are released at festivals is that things will get changed between festival and the mainstream release. So who knows? Yeah, it's really, really interesting, but it's really tight. It's shocking. There's... As you say, so much I want to go back and rewatch, and it's an absolute blend of mind and body, which is uh, just so endlessly fascinating to me. And the it visually looks amazing. The sound is great as well. So the the soundtrack from Jim Williams is so good as well, especially in those really bizarre moments of transformation and automatically turning into kind of like a school that I will want to listen to like at particular times of year especially in October around Halloween and all of this kind of stuff I just yeah I'm so glad that it absolutely met my own personal expectations which were quite high because there have been a few things I've seen recently that didn't match my own expectations and Mm -hmm. I kind of kicked myself afterwards and was like you really were like I think you expect too much from films sometimes but actually no because this delivered so well yeah it definitely lives up to that hype and I'm like you say I was so relieved and I feel very glad that we got to see it despite the horror of certain aspects of it I immediately want to watch it again we need to immediately go and watch antiviral both of us yes So you briefly alluded to it during our Possessor chat just there, but on the morning of the day that we saw Possessor, we had the opportunity to see Nomadland, which is directed by Chloe Zhao. Um, It stars Frances McDormand and David Strahan. So it's a film which is based on the 2017 non-fiction book Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. And it's basically about a woman called Fern who leaves her small town to travel around the American Midwest. It had its world premiere in September at the Venice Film Festival where it won the Golden Lion. It also won the People's Choice Award at TIFF this year, which makes it the first film ever to win the top prize at both Venice and Toronto, which is quite the achievement. Um, It's going to be released in the US in December. And I think I saw earlier when I was doing some researches that it's going to be released in the UK in January, I think. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed. New Year's Day, I New Year's Day, yep. So as I said, Fern is played by Frances McDormand. So she's in her 60s and after losing everything during the Great Recession of 2008, um, she embarks upon this journey throughout the American West living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. So... I'd been really looking forward to seeing this. I'd seen a lot of the festival buzz that had come out of TIFF and Venice subsequently. Um, Strangely, this was part of a ballot, so we had Mm. to apply to get the opportunity to watch this, and thankfully we did, which was really great. So I had pretty high expectations for this. I really like Frances McDormand. She's an actress whose work I really, really enjoy watching, and I know that's the case for you too. Mm. And it's just a really, really interesting look at the way that we can escape, the way that we kind of isolate as a way of dealing with grief Fern is dealing with both of these things Um, she loses not only her livelihood, her job, her home but her partner has her husband of, I think they've been married for quite a long time, Mm. 40 years I think he passes away as well and it's just this sort of very 
tender and thoughtful look at memory and remembrance. One thing that keeps coming up quite a lot throughout the film is this idea of who will remember us when we're gone, if nobody remembers us, did we exist? And all of this is Mm. just playing out against these amazing, beautiful landscapes of the American West. Uh, Fern travels around so that, like you said previously, she starts out, she's doing this kind of seasonal work at an Amazon factory. And then the narrative of the film quite nicely actually is quite cyclical. So it goes, you sort of follow Fern as she goes through all these these different locations, people that she meets, some of them are the same people because they're living this nomadic lifestyle and they're just moving from place to place. They help each other out with doing kind of seasonal jobs, whether that's being like park attendants at some of America's state parks, whether that's just working kind of odd jobs on the road here and there. And it's just this really interesting look at distancing and emotion and you've got these landscapes and so much of America is just so vast and uninhabited particularly this area of the United States and I just I think it was so beautiful I was really really affected by this film in a way that like I didn't necessarily think I would be and it kind of knocked me for six a little bit actually so that was kind of my immediate reaction to it Frances McDormand is just like inevitably phenomenal because she just has this ability to just like carry the emotional weight of a situation but she also has this kind of stoicism mm. of someone who is really reluctant to engage with someone on an emotional level for fear of what might happen as kickback and that's something that I think she does in a lot of her roles actually mm-hmm. um it made me think quite a lot about Three Billboards which is a film I know oh yeah absolutely discussed previously where she's sort of someone that's been through this like extremely traumatic life event this huge loss but it's still that kind of like you know that there's this wall up protecting all of these emotions that she doesn't necessarily want to have to deal with or doesn't know how to deal with and I just oh it was just so tender and beautiful and I just really enjoyed it what did you think Mm, completely agree I mean I think we've been on the same page for all of these films interestingly it's just a real like a quiet gut punch of a movie kind of we watched it in the morning on the day when I was actually moving house and I personally have all kinds of (laughs) long-lasting anxieties about the concept of home and like the difference between a house and a home so this felt quite timely in a way actually it just made me feel a bit weird on a a personal level too and I just felt very overwhelmed by its beauty and its humanity and its authenticity it kind of maybe in part actually because a lot of the people that Fern comes across on her journey are real life nomads And it did kind of have a documentary feel to it in a way. Yeah, some of it you almost for a second felt like it wasn't, you weren't watching people act. It wasn't fiction. It was kind of a documentary about these people living their lives. And Frances McDormand carries all of that and is just staggering to watch. Really, she can do so much with a look, with any facial expression. And her character here is so vulnerable but also so defiant and she's been forced into this situation by a recession and you know with the loss of her husband that is beyond her control and yet she doesn't want anyone else to help her she wants to do it in her own way and live her life in her own way and it's a film that kind of you feel very conflicted because you see these People living a lifestyle that has a very strong sense of community and of hope, 
but there are also a lot of reminders along the way that society has forced these older people into this situation. Mm. So like yeah. the Amazon warehouse, you know, these people in their 60s working in this Amazon warehouse, it's just, I don't know, it's just grim. And it's the whole film kind of, and it's landscape, as you were saying, it screams isolation. It felt like it kind of seeped into my bones a bit. I felt lonely watching it. It's kind of, yeah. it's beautiful, but it's just, it's just really desolate at the same time. And I mean, you touched on, you know, it's a film about loss and grief and memory as well. And Fern's lost her husband and there are others who are, who have lost other people who, who are facing death. So we kind of take some time sitting with those kind of ideas as well. It's very, I mean, it's very simple in its premise and its plot, but there's so much going on underneath in terms of the human experience. And I've just thought about it so much, but I've also tried to push it from my thoughts sometimes because it's quite a melancholy place to be, even if it's kind of hopeful as well. It's this kind of weird balance between like hopefulness but then also like complete melancholia yeah and I just felt very like I thought about it so much afterwards it reminded me of the experience I had earlier this year when I watched this documentary called Bombay Beach which is directed by Alma Harrell who Mm -hmm. directed Honey Boy and it Bombay Beach is a documentary she made in 2011 which is about Bombay Beach which is one of the poorest communities in Southern California and it has this the things that Alma does a lot in Bombay Beach is like focusing on the landscapes just to like really show like how desolate it is and how Mm. distant it is and how there are these little communities but they're so cut off from everything else and like the repercussions of that and sort of what that does to you as a person because you're so isolated and independent in like a good way Mm. but then also in a bad way and I think that like Nomadland for me felt like it was doing very similar things in showcasing how this is obviously something that just happens continuously mm-hmm. across places like the United States, especially where there is all this kind of vast expanse of space. And because people are forced into positions where they can only get odd jobs or it's easier to sustain a lifestyle living in a car or a van compared to having you know their own place and it's really interesting because I think that like at the moment when we are so restricted and there's so little that we can kind of do realistically Mm -hmm. this idea of like escaping and going on a trip and just getting in the car and driving and seeing the world around us sounds amazing and sounds like the perfect antidote to dealing with anything but then also actually it's like well the the repercussions of going and doing that of being forced to do that are so different to Mm. kind of this idealistic kind of like yeah road trip you know we could be nomads we can just go and you know live this like on the road type life you know like on the road depressingly one of my favorite books in the entire world but is that kind of like yeah let's get in a car and go and we'll just have this amazing life we've got no responsibilities like blah 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 but actually like the reality of that is like that is it it's so different and it's just it's so quiet in its sort of it's like quiet and deadly in that mm-hmm. kind of weird way I think it's sort of you think that actually you're just having like a nice time enjoying it kind of taking on board the emotion of it but it, it really lingered with me as well I think it's deserving of all of the praise that it's had which I was really pleased to kind of see and experience it's like oh I can completely see why people feel this way and why people have had this reaction to it 
And finally, the final of our big hitters, quote unquote, was also the final film of the festival, I think. So this was Ammonite. And Ammonite is a romantic drama film written and directed by Francis Lee, who's also the writer and director of God's Own Country. The film is loosely inspired by the life of British paleontologist Mary Anning, who is played in this film by Kate Winslet. And Mary works alone selling common fossils to tourists. A chance job offer changes her life when a visitor hires her to care for his wife, Charlotte Murchison, who's played by our favourite, Sasha Ronan. The film also stars Gemma Jones, James McArdle, Alex Sekaranu, and Fiona Shaw. It had its world premiere at the Toronto Film Festival in September and it's now out in the UK and it will be on theatrical release in the US in November. This was a film that we had booked to see in the physical cinema before things went tits up. So um, I'm glad they decided to uh, allow for a press screening for everyone to watch it at home instead. I think we were both looking forward to it, A, because of the casting, because of Sasha Ronan, and uh, it's a nice return for Kate Winslet, who I haven't seen in a film for a while. And also because it is written and directed by Francis Lee, who created God's Own Country, which is the film that we both really, really enjoyed and was a highlight of. Well, what year did that come out? 2018? 2017. All those years ago, that long, long distant past. Remember that? Yeah, back then. You know, it's a very atmospheric film. It's it's got a very bleak setting. It's kind of a so visually, it's quite a good companion to God's Own Country in many ways. What were your feelings towards this film? Because I think I was looking forward to seeing it. I wasn't hyped in the way that I was for some other films, but I was looking forward to seeing it because of who it was from and who it was starring. So I I think my expectations were high in terms of I thought it would be of um, a high quality but what did you what did you think because responses have been mixed okay so just briefly I've just realized that the last Kate Winslet film I watched was Titanic the, no it was Titanic 1997 no um it was Steve Jobs which was the Danny Boyle directed adaptation yeah. of Memorable. Steve Jobs' his life. Memorable. Michael Fassbender. What, what was the last one I saw her in? Let's have a look, shall we? Did you watch The Dressmaker with Liam Hemsworth in? Christ, did I watch... I genuinely, genuinely just looking at her her thing, I feel like the last thing you may have watched would have been Contagion, which is pretty ironic. What year was that? I remember seeing... Oh, yes, it, yeah, it would have been then. I saw Revolutionary Road and I saw Contagion and... Uh... Oh, Divergent. I saw... Did I see Divergent? Was that the first one? (laughs) Yes, it's the first one. Of course you've seen Divergent. I think I saw that at the cinema. Anyway. I just was really intrigued as you said, like, I don't remember the last time I saw her in anything. And I just remember thinking, like, I I really like Kate Winslet. Like, just big fan. But also, like... Where has she been? What have you been doing, Kate? She's been working, but I've just not seen anything. Anyway, Ammonite. Yes, so I... Really, 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 really liked God's Own Country. I remember seeing it and just being like massively overwhelmed by it. It's just so wonderful and tender and Josh O'Connor is amazing in it. And it's just Mm. this like, oh, it's just a delight. Loved it. Everyone see that film. Just brilliant. Watch it if you haven't. Going into this, I was like, cool. Yep. Francis Lee. God's Own Country, brilliant. Kate Winslet, I'm on board. Saoirse Ronan, I'm there. Can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. But the thing is, I, I've like 
sat on this and thought about it for almost a week and I still haven't fully got my head around it Mm. and I do feel like I'm in this camp at the moment where I'm straight down the middle where it's not that it's it's not that I didn't like it Mm. but I definitely didn't love it it's not as bad as everyone I think seems to be reacting to it i just think that it's not what people anticipated and i think the thing is one interesting analysis that i've seen come up a few times from people whose work i respect quite a lot is that actually the film itself is not necessarily about the love story Mm -hmm. the focal point is not the relationship because one of the criticisms has been that there's a real lack of chemistry between Mm -hmm. saoirse ronan and kate winslet as mary and charlotte which i sort of concede a little bit but i think the thing is i don't think the film is about the love story i think it's more about how you might get into a position where you just prioritize your vocation like work 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 especially Mm -hmm. at this particular time where you know mary anning is a woman who's working in a particular field where men are prioritized oh yeah there's quite a few instances where like her work is being passed off as someone else's and she was sort of like revolutionizing the field and doing all this amazing work when it comes to paleontology but she wasn't necessarily getting the acclaim so you've got the entire like societal positioning of what it's like to be a woman at that particular time and I think there's also a lot in there about how sometimes love and friendship like isn't instantaneous because Mary is positioned as this person that is quite cold quite withdrawn doesn't have time for anything that isn't her work you know doesn't really want to have to entertain Charlotte is completely non-receptive it's alluded that things have happened in the past with regards to relationships, friendships, mm. where she perhaps have been haven't necessarily gone a particular way and that's caused her to kind of withdraw. I think Kate Winslet is very, very good. I didn't necessarily engage as much with Sersha's performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will like I will watch Sersha like watch paint dry at this stage, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm always gonna enjoy it. But for me particularly, I didn't necessarily I don't think it's a necessarily a standout performance from her i do get the idea that i think the film is supposed to be a little bit more cold and sparse and withdrawn mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to sort of match the landscapes to match mary's work because there are a lot of like sprawling scenes of lime regis of the beaches of the stones of the cold water there is this coolness to it mm-hmm. and i think you do have to sit with it and i think you have to be willing to work to get anything back of it i think it is a, the epitome of a slow burn in that sense for me particularly mm. the times where i was like oh i just really wanted more of that so fiona shaw turns up at one point oh yeah and there's the implication that perhaps she and mary may have had this relationship Mm. previously and i was like i just want to know more about that like go down there but Mm. it it didn't and i think for me as well some of like the visual metaphors the the kind of things felt a little bit ham-fisted there's this reoccurring thing about what it means to be a woman and and how a woman to be a woman at that particular time was this idea of you know you, you need to have a family you need to have babies you need to have all this thing and there's a lot of like visual references to it. there's a whole thing with eggs <laughs> Which, you know, big egg fan, but I mean, you got lugging her eggs around everywhere. Constantly carrying eggs. Eggs mean life, guys. Not sure if you realise that. It's also really important to understand as well that when we watched this, I had. We watched this at nine o'clock in the morning. It was an early one. The night after having watched Possessor. And the entire time, I was just thinking about teeth. Oh, you poor thing. I enjoyed it. I think it's really interesting to watch it in October when at the start of the year we watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We discussed this at the time. It's uh, I don't want it to be a lazy comparison, but 
there yeah there are some elements it's inevitably gonna happen especially as you say when they've been released in the same year and there are some sort of similar elements to them and just one is much more powerful than the other really isn't it so I i think that there's stuff there i just think you have to really like labor and work i mean personally i had to really labor and work at it and you almost have to like unpick it in the way that like mary's like banging on rocks to get to the fossils <laughs> and i think you have to have patience with it and that's why it's so it contrasts quite a lot i think for me to god's own country which you just didn't have yeah. to do that i think it's interesting you know like i think that i really want to watch it again if only just sort of try and get my head around it but mm. i think it was um i think it was claire biddles brilliant writer who i think on her review of it that she posted online she'd sort of said like like not every and every kind of like queer relationship in the past was sad no like this idea of like you know like sad lesbians at the beach like it's just not not everything was sad they might have they could have been like a positive they could have had a nice time you know so i think that it does sort of lean into this kind of idea that like everything was just continually hard all the time miserable and bleak yeah so that was my reaction to it but i found the kind of reactions to it widely so interesting because they seem to be all over the place yeah it's there's been people talking about it as an oscar contender and then other people saying it was like literally the most excruciating thing they'd ever seen and i really didn't expect those extreme reactions at all like no i think it is probably a bit middle of the road as you said like two really phenomenal actresses and a great director. Definitely not the best role for Sasha Ronan, who is a fantastic actress. I can't put my finger on whether Charlotte's just not really given an, a lot to do. I just don't think she's a well-rounded character. There's not a, a lot about her. She spends a lot of time being ill anyway. Yeah. So most of the time she's in bed. And then you just wonder, like, at which point did you to develop this relationship with each other? Because she's just been, like, asleep the whole time. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. So, yeah, their connection came a little bit out of nowhere for me. Especially if you compare it to the sort of blossoming relationship in God's Own Country which is a very different thing altogether. And as you say, I also was kind of wondering about the key seems to be whether you understand and buy into this idea of like the emotional restraint of the film or whether you think it is, I don't know, whether you think it's purposeful and therefore... I don't know, meaningful or whether it's actually a bit of a failure, of maybe a bit of failure of chemistry, maybe... There's something there that is is really interesting and def- and had me interested. In, and this, the story of Mary Anning, I think, could be fascinating. I think there's a lot of anger around historical accuracy. I'm not... She was a very fascinating woman and the film sort of focuses in on a relationship that may not have even happened and I almost found her work more interesting than I found the relationship to be honest. This is 100% the thing is that I think actually it's a film that's about work and it's about yeah. how we get consumed by work and work becomes our entire vocation. But they try and foreground the relationship. Yeah. And that kind of it's at odds with what the film really could be about I guess I mean I I would I probably would rather listen to Kate Winslet talking about fossilized poo 
which makes the what the film sound worse than it is. It's not fossilized poo; just happens to be quite interesting. But she's really engaging in the in those times. Like I really yeah. would have had. I'd really rather have had like a film that was like two hours of like Mary Anning dealing with the fact that like it's shit to be a female paleontologist at that time because rich men will just come along and take all the glory, and you're stuck in Lyme Regis doing all the work, living with your mum, making seashell mirrors. It's just. That would have been fine and it just it does seem to like rapidly escalate like you said between like these two people who like don't really get on charlotte's not really given any i don't know anything about her apart from the, the one glimpse you get is the at the beginning i wanted to know why she was so sad i mean obviously yeah. i know why she's so sad but i wanted to hear a bit more about but all you get about her is you get there's the scene in the beginning where she you sort of see her with her husband in bed and then yeah. there's another scene where Kate Winslet is observing her through a window and yeah. you see that like Charlotte is talking to a woman and a baby and then the baby and the woman go away and she's like stood there looking quite wistfully. So the implication is there is that like she's either had a baby and lost one or she wants a baby badly and she can't have one. But that's it. Yeah, it touches on it very slightly, doesn't it, without going and I think we could have really gone into that a bit more and made, it would have made Charlotte... I don't know, I just would have understood Charlotte a lot more. So you have that, and then all of a sudden it goes from, like, absolute, like, starkness to be, like, full-on... Proper cunnilingus. Proper getting it. Obviously fine, but it's just, like, there's so... It's just weird. It's like this weird kind of, like, and now here is the section where they just have lots and lots of lovely sex. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it seems slightly all over the place in that sense mm-hmm. but i do think that actually the where it is most interesting is when it is focusing on mary anning and her relationship yeah. to work and mm-hmm. her placing within the field of paleontology at that time i think i could have certainly have gone down that road for far longer than the kind of relationship angle that didn't quite work but i thought it was like you know middle of the middle of the road it's fine it's worth seeing good could have been better probably like a three out of three out of five a bit high i don't know i gave it a seven out of ten i reckon a a three out of five if i'm being generous so um still worth seeing but definitely not the highlight of the festival for us no definitely not so that was a very nice roundup of some of the standout, bigger releases of uh, London Film Festival this year, most of which I think we really enjoyed, which was which was really great, actually. Uh, we thought we'd give a quick shout out to a few other films that we also watched that we think are worth shouting out and uh, recommending. So do you want to go through yours first? I mean, you saw a huge number of films. Were there any others that really stood out for you and that you would like to recommend or that we might hopefully get a chance to review in some further detail further down the line? Yes, so I'll sort of do my individual shout-outs and then I think there's a few things that we've got a little bit of overlap in Mm. that we will just reference as well. So some other things that I saw over the last two weeks, which if you have the opportunity to sort of see at any point going forward, you should most definitely do. I watched a film called Undina, which is directed by Christian Petzold. He is a German director. Um, It stars Paula Beer and Franz Rogowski. It's set in Berlin. It's like a contemporary take on a mythological fairy tale and it's sort of this juxtaposition of regeneration 
regeneration in Berlin with the regeneration of women in relationships. The chemistry between the two leads in this is like crazy and it just really miss, made me miss Berlin as well and it's brilliant and it was my first introduction to Christian Petzold's work which when I've told people this they've just been quite horrified because he's got a lot of other really interesting films including Transit and Phoenix which are the two I'm going to do after this so had a really nice time watching that. I also saw Supernova which is directed by Harry McQueen and stars Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. This is something that I really hope that we get to review at length in the future. Dying to watch this. This was like absolute emotional gut punch. I think I spent most of it crying. It's about a couple and one of them has early onset dementia, I think. And it's sort of about memory and retracing and reliving your memories while you're still able to. And it's just like two incredibly standout performances mm. from two actors who I always really enjoy watching so hopefully that will end up being released sometime soon so we'll get to talk about it because I think that you would absolutely love this and I think there's lots in there that we can unpack at length one thing that I think as well as Possessor being the thing that I was like absolutely desperate to see during the festival the other thing was David Burns American Utopia which is directed by Spike Lee it's the film version of the Broadway play which ran in New York which was based on one of David Byrne's albums if you're not familiar with David Byrne he's the lead singer of Talking Heads one of my favourite bands in the entire world I was having a particularly crappy week and this was at the midpoint and I had been putting all of my eggs in the David Byrne basket like praying to god this was going to revive me and i like this was like two hours of straight joy i think it's going to be airing in the uk on sky atlantic or sky arts because it's an hbo production in the united states it's just a really perfect companion to jonathan demi's stop making sense which was his film documentary about talking heads which came out in the 80s and Oh, it's just amazing. If you like Talking Heads, if you like David Byrne, if you like joy, dancing, music, it just made me miss like going to concerts. It's just wonderful. David Byrne, I think, is my like equivalent, like David Bowie, I think. I was just thinking about this the other day. Like when he dies, I'm going to be so devastated. So, oh, just a delight. And something I think that we definitely will be talking about because they're going to be getting released in over a couple of weeks in November and December in the UK is that I have the opportunity to watch two of Steve McQueen's Small Acts anthology series. So he's made five films all about black British culture within the UK. I watched the first two, which are Mangrove and Lover's Rock, and they're just amazing like Steve McQueen Mm. is a director whose work I always really look forward to because he just the way that he does stories the way that he shoots things the way that he just constructs films is just always a delight and I was really really blown away they're both completely different one focuses on a court case and sort of the racism happening in uh, London at the, the late 60s to early 70s and one is literally just an hour of a house party and it this couldn't be more different but they're so brilliant and important and timely and just wonderful full of great performances and I think we'll definitely come back to those because I think that they'll be really really interesting and, and a really nice highlight of this sort of like end of 2020 so there were the sort of other sort of standout things for me personally was there anything else in particular that you wanted to sort of flag as well so i watched rose a love story which was directed by jennifer sheridan which is kind of i guess a a slightly different take on the vampire story so uh it's about a lady called rose and her husband and they're living off the beaten track they're living in seclusion because rose is very sick she's got this 
really terrifying violent illness so they've taken themselves away from society and they're hiding but the arrival of a stranger kind of throws their world into chaos and threatens to just destroy everything that they've built together and their life together really I found it a really to be a really effective little film it's got quite a small cast and a small secluded setting but I thought it was a really interesting take on vampirism which is kind of treated in a way as quite normal and mundane in in some ways the two performances from Sophie Rundle and Matt Stokoe who are a couple in real life as well is just a really compelling relationship and I really bought into them it's definitely a slow burn so I don't know if people are I guess it is a horror film but it's kind of not it's a drama so uh, I don't know whether some people might be disappointed if they've got slightly different expectations but I found it to be yeah just really interesting and it's like a really neat I think it's like 86 minutes or something ridiculous so um very interesting little story um and I think pretty much everything else are things that we watch together so we um we watched herself together oh yeah which I think we both really enjoyed and found very sort of very timely and very touching and paints a real picture of life for many people today and that was directed by Phila Deloid and stars Claire Dunn who also wrote co-wrote the screenplay I think and that's had a lot of media coverage about a lady who leaves her abusive husband with her kids and is trying to build her own home in someone's back garden because uh, she's struggling with the housing system and uh, yeah I think we both found that a very satisfying watch did you enjoy that too? Yes yeah it was really like I don't know I don't, I don't even know what I was necessarily expecting from it but it was really brilliant Claire Dunn as you mentioned a stand-up mm. performance there it's like a really depressing look at what happens when you are in a relationship where you're experiencing domestic abuse so many aspects of it I sort of checked out of interest as mm. being sort of things that actually do happen Mm. that you're advised to do when you've got children and you're living in these situations and it really like was quite overwhelming in that respect and I think that there are a couple of scenes in it which really just showcase how frustrating it is sometimes from a legal point of view when you are the victim but you're not getting the support that you require Mm. Um, it's actually quite galling really those court scenes in particular oh they're absolutely horrendous yeah and it's really interesting actually because Philida Lloyd has got quite an interesting directorial career so she did Mamma Mia the movie big fan Mm. of Mamma Mia have to say but then she also did The Iron Lady which is the Margaret Thatcher biog which we shall not speak of so it's just really interesting choosing interesting project for me I had to get past the the luck of Claire Dunn's character finding cleaning for a lady who just happens to have a big stretch of land that she's happy to give her and give her some money like certain level of luck there yeah definitely but still quite an uplifting film the only uh, I was also going to shout out Shirley because uh, I'm a big Shirley Jackson fan and I watched Shirley back in June and then you watched the film during the festival and it's a biographical drama directed by Josephine Decker and uh, is of course based on the novel of the same name by Susan Scarf Merrill and it is about Shirley Jackson and her life and it stars Elizabeth Moss as Shirley and Michael Stuhlberg as her husband so um, two extremely fantastic people that we love Um, and I had very high expectations for this like I said I watched it back in June I didn't get a chance to watch it in in the past couple of weeks and I kind of I kind of wish I had but I had very high expectations at the time and I actually found it a bit disappointing I thought the performances were great but I did find it quite boring 
Yes, well, I had been anticipating this largely because of the cast. I have no, like, unfortunately for me, I've had no engagement in Shirley Jackson content Mm -hmm. book-wise or anything like that. The only, this is so embarrassing, the only piece of Shirley Jackson content I have really enjoyed and consumed is uh, We Have Always Lived in the Castle, the film version. With old Sebastian Stan. With my boy Sebastian Stan, two fingers. Um, (laughs) So that's the only Shirley Jackson thing for me in my life. But I am a big fan of Elizabeth Moss. I will gladly watch Michael Stolberg in anything. Yeah. But I just didn't engage with it in the way that I was really hoping, actually. I actually found it quite tedious at times. I didn't particularly like the way the narrative leaned into this like tortured female writer with shit no. husband trope this idea that she's sort of tormented by her own intelligence that mm-hmm. no one takes her seriously that she's sort of like you know the victim of conventions at her time all of which might have been true but there's this really kind of strange narrative of pitting two women off against each other which i just found really like not okay and I just, I felt quite lit down by it, really. Yeah, me too. It was one of those things where, like, I'd read a lot of the hype coming out of festivals. I think it screened at Sundance at the start of the year. Yeah. So I was looking forward to it. I don't know where a lot of that hype came from, really. I mean, no. Shirley Jackson's such a, I mean, such a prolific writer. She's such an interesting character and person. And yeah, she was reduced, I don't know, I just found her to be reduced to something, as you say, quite tedious and quite annoying you don't really enjoy spending time with so yeah bit of a slog really not not what I was hoping for it definitely felt like a slog and I think it's also just I think a lot of it comes from the fact that Josephine Decker who directed it I think a lot of people really respect her work Mm -hmm. and she's actually a filmmaker who I've not necessarily engaged with so I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of people that have been like completely like super super into it are quite big fans of hers which is absolutely fine you know that's one of those things isn't it she's just particularly a blind spot for me um the last film that she did was Madeline's Madeline which I still haven't gotten around to watching yeah so I, I can't tell if it's sort of like the film itself is constructed in line with what her work is like on the whole I've got nothing to compare it to but it just definitely there was something wasn't clicking for me like at all do you want to shout anything else before we finish yes just two things I know that are being released shortly uh one is the human voice which is the short film the English language for short film directed by Pedro Moldovar starring Tilda Swinton. I think that's making its way to cinema shortly. That was a fun time. Love mm. Tilda. Very colourful, very interesting. Another stage adaptation, actually. And there's some interesting things going on with the staging there, which are kind of like visually satisfying. Mm-hmm. And the other thing as well is just Mogul Mowgli, which is directed by Basim Tarek and is stars Riz Ahmed as a rapper who's on the up and up and then suddenly is diagnosed with a chronic illness and sort of has has to deal with this idea of what happens when your career doesn't go the way you want to when you're also carrying the baggage of kind of the cultural expectations of your parents mm. in contrast to what you want to do with your own life this really leans into using Riz's acting and musical talents it's a perfect companion to his album that was released at the start of this year largely because a lot of the songs that feature in the film come from that record mm-hmm. so if you've not listened to long goodbye I would 100% recommend that I mean I I really really like Riz Ahmed I really like Riz Ahmed's rapping so for this for me was just like a good time and I think it's coming out in December I think 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 so it might actually be sooner than that but if you have the opportunity to go and see that it's great really enjoyed it so that's our kind of I want to say short roundup but I've just checked the time it's definitely not short but that's our roundup of this year's London Film Festival what do you think your favourite of the festival was I'm going to put you on the spot now uh, it was probably Possessor, wasn't it? It was always going to... 
yeah met my expectations so it's it, haven't stopped thinking about it since we saw it what about you well my top three is quite, they're all basically essentially one probably the best thing i saw was was american utopia just because i think i i needed it um and david byrne didn't let me down the big hug you got out of that was just a real joy so uh yeah so that's our little recap of london film festival we hope that you get the opportunity to see some of these things it was a real treat for us to be able to watch like amazing new films for a change the frustration for me actually was quite sad because i'd been really looking forward to going to the cinema to see ammonite i would have been finally going back and then unfortunately our um beloved cinema city in norwich uh had to close because of rona so we miss you cinema city we miss you cinema city we'll see you soon we're sending you all big love so um you can find us online we're twitter at the thirst podbean.com forward slash the thirst pod you can subscribe and review us on apple podcasts too by searching for the thirst instagram we're at thirst pod the thirstpod.wordpress.com is our blog and you can also search for us on facebook as well uh thanks for stopping by goodbye steph yeah have you seen any good films recently 